This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Chodesh tov. So good to be back in this gym. I haven't been here for over two years because of the pandemic, so really good to be with you, to see the little people in the back. My family and I live in a subdivision in a small rural town outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. We moved to Tennessee two summers ago, and although I never thought I would ever live in a planned community with manicured lawns or be a part of big development, we ended up there because we could afford the house there and it was near the best public schools. It's also beautiful. From the front side, we look at rows of newly constructed suburban homes, but out the back, we look out on golden pastures with horses And we can see lush, forested mountains in the distance. I hear roosters in the morning. During the first several months of living there, in addition to all the sadness I was feeling about leaving California, our life in Los Angeles, and specifically our community here at ICAR, I was also feeling guilty, so guilty, that I was participating in the deforestation of eastern Tennessee, Guilty that our recently constructed home was releasing toxic runoff into the storm drains. I had already been disheartened and overwhelmed about the increasingly irreversible impact of climate change, of human activity on the climate, but to knowingly participate in that devastation just doubled my sense of guilt and sadness. A few months passed, and one day, a gift arrived on my doorstep from my friend and colleague, Rabbi Morris Panitz. It was a beautiful set of gardening tools, a perfect gift from the rabbi, farmer, expert pickler, and I was so moved by it, by this farewell gift. Symbolically, the garden tools represented the gratitude for the planting I had done here in this community, and it was also a blessing for my next chapter and for the planting I would do in my new community. I'm not a gardener, so it sat for a while on a shelf where I would look at it fondly. Um, But fast forward several months, we were emerging from winter and the gorgeous spring was inviting me outside, and I looked out at our small backyard and realized that for the first time ever, I own land. It's not much, it's barely half an acre, but it's ours for now, and I can grow things there. So that day, I enrolled in an online climate action landscaping course and started reading about sustainable gardening and permaculture, learning about native plant species and different types of soil, acid, or basic, and everything I was hearing and reading 
was saying that in fact, one individual's landscaping choices can have a positive impact on the climate. And so I'm currently in the process, I was just telling Dev Browse this, I'm currently in the process of planting a native garden and building a sustainable landscape. I want my little lot to stick out like a wild, beautiful, sore thumb amidst the rest of the perfectly geometric green grass lawns. A natural oasis in the midst of suburbia for butterflies and bees and hummingbirds and barn swallows. Needless to say, I am super excited about this project. I'm excited because I finally feel that in addition to activism work with Dayenu, I could actually do a little something that has a tangible positive effect. But still, I continue to be plagued with the occasional pessimistic thought. Do you really think that this little garden in far-flung Tennessee is going to make any kind of difference when the glaciers are melting, the west is burning, the hurricanes and tornadoes are becoming more destructive every year? Is all this effort for one little small landscape even worth it? The same questions plague me about other things too, and I know they, they bother you also. Does my vote matter if I live in a sea of blue or now in a sea of red? Does it make any difference when my kids and I pick, a, pick up trash at the creek? Well, the Jewish tradition has a very clear answer to these questions. In the first sentence of this week's parsha, Moses says to the people, B'nai Yisrael, he says, Re'eh, see, that verb re'eh is a command in the singular. Just like Shema from last week's parsha, there it was, hear, O Israel, and here Moses is saying, Re'eh, see what it is I'm telling you as you stand together poised to enter the promised land. The full verse is, Re'eh anochi noten lifnechem hayom bracha uklala. See that I'm setting before you today blessing and curse. And he goes on to say, there will be blessing if you follow God's commandments and curse if you don't. We are familiar with that phrase by now. It's a phrase that runs through the long speech of Deuteronomy. And in this particular case, Moses is telling the people that when they enter the land, they're, per, they're to pronounce the bracha, uklala, the blessing and the curse on two effacing mountains on the other side of the Jordan. But before even thinking about blessings and curses, the rabbinic commentators who read this verse got caught up with the first four words of it. Because if you look closely, there's a subtle and mysterious change in person. The Hebrew says, See, which is in the singular, like I'm talking just to Talia, I am setting before you, all of you, like I'm talking to the whole kahal. That lifnechem is in the plural. Now, why would that be, our rabbis asked. The Kli Yakar, who we all know here as uh, Rabbi Kasher's favorite Torah commentator, the 17th century rabbi in Prague, he seizes upon this little subtle shift in address. And he says, Re'eh kemedaber le yachid. 
See is spoken to the individual. Lifnechem kemidaber lerabim. Before you is spoken to the many. And why is that? Here he gets the answers from the rabbis in the Talmud. This is because of what our sages taught. A person should always view things as if the whole world is half righteous and half wicked. If that person performs a single mitzvah, a single divine commandment, she tips herself and the entire world to the side of merit. Therefore, Moshe spoke to every individual, see, in order that she should see with her own eyes that every single individual action perform, she performs affects all of them. When you consider what the Kli Yakar is saying in the context of a community like this one, or a tribe like the Israelites, the idea rings really true. And I hope everyone here has experienced or tasted, maybe through being here, what it means to belong to a collective and to know that your individual actions make an impact on the whole community. To feel like your voice and your participation, your ideas and your time matter. Some of us have been lucky enough to feel this at summer camp. I know Talia and Flora and others here experienced this at Gilboa, at Camp Gilboa. And I certainly felt that profound sense of belonging and responsibility when I worked for many summers at a camp called Camp Tawanga, just outside Yosemite. There at Camp Tawanga, the relationship between the individual and the community, the camper and, or staff and the camp is at the center of the camp's mission. Their main goal is to foster in campers and staff a sense of their value as individuals and the awareness that they're a part of something much bigger than themselves. A former longtime director of camp, Ken Kramars, died just this past summer, too young. It was a tremendous loss, and he had an indelible impact on the Camp Tawanga community. And he co-created what they call a canon of ethics for the staff. It's a short list of principles that the staff should live by while they're working at camp. And the principle that meant the most to Ken, and that he hoped would be his legacy, was this. He said, shared space means shared responsibility. Shared space means shared responsibility. He used to come alive, gesticulating wildly when he talked about this. Ken would illustrate this with a mundane example. If you see a coffee mug from the dining hall left out on a picnic table, return it to the kitchen for washing, even if it's not your coffee mug. Do it anyway, because we all share the space, and we all take responsibility for it. He argued that when a person does this and regards himself as responsible for the space he shares with others, that one act of care, no matter how small, is like a ripple in a pond. As a longtime staff member, I absorb that principle into my being. I feel the weighty sense of responsibility for the spaces I share going out to the whole world.
But outside the social experiment of camp, this hopeful notion can seem fanciful or even false. Back in our cities, our state, our country, our world, it's easy to see ourselves as infinitesimal. I felt this at LAX yesterday. <laughs> and we are. Did you all see those images that came out this summer taken by NASA's Webb telescope that capture extremely distant clusters of galaxies that we've never seen before? NASA's report said that the image they took covers a patch of sky approximately the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length from the ground and reveals thousands of galaxies in a tiny sliver of vast universe. Go and look at that photo if you haven't seen it. It's completely overwhelming and beautiful. I, when I saw it, I balked. I was speechless and I actually had to put it away eventually because I was so overwhelmed by how tiny and, and apparently insignificant our planet is in the vastness of space. So again, I see that and my, my cynicism and doubt rolls in. Do my actions really matter? Does my little garden matter? Does the way I speak to the, the clerk at the grocery store matter? Does my vote matter? Can you hear me going in circles here? If you do, it's because I am. I teeter back and forth between doubt and faith, between fatalism and active hope, and I know I'm not alone in this. But what I want to propose today is that we choose, like Sheva and Yoon choose, to live with the outlook that our individual words and acts do matter and do affect the greater world, for better and for worse. And I want to propose that we surround ourselves with reminders and affirmations that this is so. Being here in community is a good start. We feel our worth and power more greatly when we participate in community. It also helps to tell inspiring stories of courage and strength. That story of the boy who threw all the starfish back into the sea, you know that story. Or the guy at the concert who danced his heart out, he, that kind of weird dancing guy, and he set off a wave of unabashed, joyful movement at the concert or listen to one of Amanda Gorman's poems, or read a biography of a person who changed the course of history. We have to keep feeding ourselves inspiration and keep remembering that our presence can bring tremendous blessing. I'm not suggesting here that we live in blissful ignorance, turning off the news, ignoring reality. I'm not suggesting that we don't look at that picture of space and wonder. We still need to face and reckon with the brokenness in our world. We still have to engage in large scale mass movement efforts to affect long-term systemic change. But our Torah and our rabbis teach that we must also have faith in the acts of every individual. That is where the locus of possibility lies. That is where the kernels of hope live. The courage of individuals to perform small, 
scale acts of love and care. In the vastness of time and space, you and I and we matter. Whether you live in far-flung Tennessee or a big city like this one, whether you're at a car or a little small community somewhere, whatever you do for a living, you can have and you do have an impact. And when we act on this knowledge, we care more, we think more carefully and more intentionally about what we do and say. We care to pick up the coffee mug, to call our senator, to vote, to plant a garden. And that single act just might tip the scales for a better world. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.